I'm Francesca Milliken-Slater and welcome to Set Full of Stories to Tell in the Middle of the Night. I tell you tales that aren't always about the night but carry a sense of the night, of being awake when no one else is, unrest when the sleep won't come, the things that keep us up. Frustrations, regrets, urges, lovers, love, loss and the left behind. They are stories I tell myself when I can't find my sleep. You can download all available episodes, including The Losses Part 1, The Found and Lost, at iTunes Podcast or where you usually get your podcasts. This set of stories is The Losses Part 2, The Lost and Left Behind. The ghosts that come crowding in, crawling up the covers and sticking their fingers in your ears. We'll hear about a last act of kindness intended for the left behind and someone trying to lose themselves just to prove a point. But first up, a tale from a woman losing it to music. Music was following her. Everywhere she went, the rhythm of her own heartbreak was played out in songs of ridiculous sentimentality. Phil Collins had started it. A schmaltzed-up version of groovy kind of love had caught her unawares while out shopping one Saturday afternoon in Matalan. Holding a cut-price DVD in one hand and a three-quid handbag in the other, this was Matalan. The tears rolled down her face as the singer's syrupy words spoke directly to her. Music was stalking her. Everywhere she went, drifts of lost loves caught her through tinny headphones from youths on buses, cars driving past through memories at her chest. Colleagues humming snatches of songs made her heart beat faster. She tried using her iTunes on her iPhone with the headphones to block out these unwanted occurrences of sound, but even iTunes was against her, shuffling songs to orchestrate sharp recollections of pain. Every song, every tune reminded her of a time that she would rather not remember. Not forget, exactly. Just not remember when she was unprepared. She liked to store up the memory and the music that went with it for private consumption when she wasn't in public. No matter how many times she emptied and refilled and emptied and refilled and emptied and refilled her iTunes, the memories came shuffling back in. Her previous preoccupation for gravel-voiced folk and blues had long since evaporated in a desperate attempt for music without context. In this desperation, she began to fill up her iTunes with music she actively disliked. Prog rock, cock rock, trip hop, hip hop, two-step, dubstep, trance, dance, house, Europop, all of it was tinged with remembrance. Music that she'd never heard before pulled on her heartstrings, constructing fantasies and could-have-beens, touching happy endings. She tried music without words, music in languages she would never understand, spoken word, experimental... None of it was without resonance. 
Following a particularly bad sequence of songs, she smashed the iPhone to pieces, stamping on every single part of its smug components. This direct attack on technology took place outside a busy chemist on a busy high street, causing looks of dismay, disgust and a couple of rounds of applause. With the insurance money from the damaged iPhone, she purchased herself a pair of state-of-the-art noise-reducing Sennheiser headphones to walk about with. It was a delight. Everything was muffled. Cars seemed to glide past. People's conversations became silent movies to relay her own words onto. No more walking to the trudge of the daily commute. No more buzz of traffic. No more train announcements. No more hearing who did what to who last night. No more unwanted beats from the back of buses. No more music sneaking up on her. That was The Girl That Music Was Stalking, which I'm more than happy to be sponsored by any noise-reducing headphones on the market. Let's try and keep the nagging notes of music to one side. I can't stop the nighttime earworms. Do you like pina colada? Getting caught in the rain. They still keep coming. The things they leave behind, always on the periphery and sound touch and smell the people that you can never quite forget come knocking on the door at night in he built his house for him It did not shock Trevor to find out he was dying. He'd thought it for some time. In fact, it motivated him more than he'd ever been motivated before. Trevor had always been better at working to a deadline. Trevor's main concern were the people that were left behind. Trevor didn't know where he was going or who he even really was, but wherever he was going, he was pretty sure he wouldn't need his house, his car and his juice maker. He wasn't looking to be buried like an Egyptian pharaoh and he definitely did not want his house being turned into a mausoleum of him. His imminent death, six months or so, the doctor said, had made him want to leave behind something for the people that he loved. Not a legacy of himself, but something that they actually wanted and could use while living. And Trevor, or Trevor loved no one more than he loved his best friend, John J-O-N. Oh, family, they were family, but John, John was his best friend. Trevor and John's friendship was not based on shared interests or taste, but on shared history. They'd grown up together, different backgrounds, different families, but boy to man, they knew each other and would often say so in unison. Other friends called them the odd couple. They were different in height, looks, gait, style, hair, but listen to them talk 
watch them long enough and you would see the same mirrored bodily gestures, the same dips and tones in their voices. So, Trevor, with six months or so left to live, had decided that he would leave his house to John, but he would leave it how John would want it. That would be his gift to him. Trevor's house inside was pretty plain. It was all white, magnolia, grey at a push. Trevor liked clean lines and simplicity. John's taste, however, was quite different, dictatorial-wise. He was always offering to do up Trevor's place, bring in a splash of colour. John had a penchant for the exuberant, bold colours, bright patterns, heavy materials, a little bit like a discotheque done up in the late 1990s by Prince. John never really had the money to fund his taste or the property to put it in, but he would drool over those home decoration programs, wish lists on Amazon and watched items on eBay. So, Trevor, with the last of his savings no use for them where he was going, began to purchase faux zebra carpets, leather-embossed wallpaper, a four-foot wrought iron statue of a frog leapfrogging. The things that John had pointed out while shopping or sitting and watching one of those home decorating programmes. Watching one of those home decorating programmes was an unspoken compromise of their friendship, like them both pretending that real ale didn't give them the shits in the morning. Trevor had begun to fill up the shed with objects he had no care for and style choices he actively disliked. Given the closeness of their friendship and John's attentiveness following the news of Trevor's imminent demise, this had been a tricky project to manage. And then Trevor had a brainwave. He would apply to one of those home decorating programmes with his intention to turn his house into John's house. Well, they simply loved that he was going to die. Yeah, they'd probably do a special on him, in fact. So, Trevor arranged with them, in what he assumed would be the last weeks of his life, for the home decorators, the TV company, to come and change his house into John's house. He imagined handing the keys to John with his last breath. By the time that week arrived, Trevor wasn't actually feeling any worse. I mean, he wasn't exactly bouncing off the walls, but he was nowhere near ready to meet his maker yet. So the TV company, the home decorators, sent him up off the road to a travel lodge for a week. After a week, he comes back to gilded banisters, mirrored ceilings, thick pile purple carpet, a glittery finish to the kitchen floor with light up There are throw cushions. There are so many throw cushions. A sunken, gold-rimmed, black bath. It was perfect for John. But Trevor did not die. He lived instead inside the house made for his friend and could not afford or bring himself to turn it back around. Every morning he grimaced into the bulb-surrounded bathroom mirror. It only highlighted his pallid face. Had to get a new vacuum cleaner for the thick pile purple carpet. It only collected his falling skin cells. 
John, on the other hand, still unknowing that all of this decorating was meant for him, was delighted in this turnaround in taste, thinking that Trevor facing up to his own mortality had provoked a previously unrealised want for nicer things. Five years later, Trevor succumbed to the disease that multiplied inside him. Five years he spent living in amongst the animal print and the velvet and the purple carpet. During his last breath in satin sheets, he never anticipated being tucked into. By the time the will was read, John realised too late what all the decorating was for. But it wasn't the animal print or the gilded banisters, the mirrored ceilings he was grateful for. It was the dip in the sofa cushions, the worn tread of the carpet, the imprint of Trevor living there for five years that he loved. That little part of him left. Let's have a moment for the left behinds. Sometimes in the night, even with someone's breathing next to you, it can feel as if you're the only one left. The night allows a certain narcissism. So, let me introduce you to a woman who's trying to lose herself in order to prove a theory in she exits her life she can tell in half a breath how long they've been waiting before they've even spoken the words there's the bleep and the click and the sigh They've had ten tinny minutes of Michael Bublé piped down their ear, interspersed with a recorded voice that they are next in the queue. My name's speaking. How can I help? Oh, thank God, someone English. You are actually English, aren't you? You sound it. Are you real? Or a robot? Now, where are you really? On an industrial estate, in a building without windows, down a slip road off a motorway, swipe card in. The company selling itself on remaining here anywhere. British call centres, a proud sentence in industry. Though there are rumours from upstairs of the benefit of customer service being provided by online chat only. Well, that could go anywhere. They can't tell your accent on an instant messaging service. And recent research online has proved that 67% of customers prefer to communicate on a type-based interface. Who doesn't love a picture of a smiling face when trying to deal with an oversight on overcharging on your latest bill? And the people on the end of her phone... They shout and they grumble and they beg and they bumble and they end every sentence with her name like a weapon. She gave up using her real name. It sounded too foreign, a suggestion from upstairs. They begin every sentence with, 
and no it's not your fault and you're just trying to do your job and you have to understand my point of view and she does you know she really does but that is not what she's paid to do sometimes the computer the system the people above it really does say no so her voice is always even and her fingers are always poised help is what they have come for and help is what she will try to give them desperate edges in payment plans kids in the background front doors being slammed shut walked out of up and down the country she hears the houses after the bleep and the click and the sigh contract on her own terms as much or as little as she wants and she wants as much as she can get they have a 24-hour service she'll take the midnight shift the graveyard shift of heavy breathers and alcohol lace confessions of having spent the money for that month of never having had the money for that month lonely voices in croaks and pleats 15 minute break every 4 hours legally off the clock back in the call center chatting is frowned upon toilet breaks are timed ever since someone did a dirty protest in a sanitary bin on the manager's floor personal mobile phones turned off reading matter banned cuz guys right yeah if the calls aren't coming in you want to earn your hours there's always data input checking up on the doubling of accounts the lines and lines and names and names thank you for your call bye bye now log out clock out out the door back home pasta sauce frozen vegetables one of your five a day no matter what time of the day washing up and in the corner of her small room a desk a chair a telephone on the wall in front a list of mobile phone numbers written in numerical order her own personal project in testing the laws of probability She started by calling the 0700s 0700 0000010700000002 0700000003 0700000004 the calling had started because of David David a boy she'd gone to school with David whose school shirt was always on the grey side of white whose smile was on the desperate side to be liked despite the kickings and the trippings up by the football boys that mocked his milkman dad David always had a hole unmended in the elbow of his jumper no friends luna they don't done nothing he'd haunted her for years he was the thing the person that held her in anxiety in the middle of the night when she couldn't sleep or in the middle of a shift when she was taking calls put off looking for fear of finding because of course anyone is findable traceable these days click click search one night david click click search and there he is pictures of him smiling a, a job a partner a kid a dog request of friendship two days three days request of friendship four days 
five days, six. Request a friendship a week, two weeks. Request a friendship four weeks, a month. Request a friendship one month, two month, three months. Request a friendship five months. He had ignored her friendship request. She raged in preference at the time when he deserved her pity and her care, the past of him. He should have remained in her sight, the boy with the hole unmended in the elbow of his jumper, not a man with a kid and a dog and a life. This, this was a snub, a passive-aggressive act done through electrodes and electronics, a definitive up-yours punishment for her lack of care or help of him in the past. Or worse, oh. He simply didn't remember who she was. What happened to the benefit of not knowing if you were thought about or remembered the mystery and separation, the safety of old comparison, the internet, the social networks had taken away possibility. They'd lessened the chances of probability. The internet had broken fate. So, in order to prove her theory, she exited her life work it was easy to be anonymous accounts online deleted there were people you could pay once you got your way onto the darker side of the net to clear your history socially bought a landline number unknown number just for the task and she made a list of numbers mobile phone numbers well, they had to be mobiles, the things that we carry with us, numerically ordered, and she phoned them in order in order to investigate the probability of her talking to someone she wishes she still knew. Well, her assessment was that even if she continued for eternity, she may never speak to someone who knew her by her name, her real name. 64 million people in the UK. 89.9 million mobile phone numbers. And she did not have eternity to answer probability. She simply had what was left of her lifetime, and that was limited to free calls after 6pm on a weekday and when she wasn't at the call centre. A click and a cautious hello is rare. PPI and phantom accidents have ruined answering the unknown. Usually it's a click and an answer phone. But she'll say it live and down the voice boxes on their answer phone the very same thing. Hello. Her full name, place and date of birth. Do you know me? Have we met? You check your phone for messages. She's still there, in a garage, down a cul-de-sac, tempting fate. You've been listening to stories to tell in the middle of the night. That was The Losses, part two, The Lost and Left Behind. Next time, it will be The Distractions, the things that keep us up at night in other ways.
If you have enjoyed this Stories to Tell, please let us know by rating, reviewing, tweeting, messaging us. You can visit storiestotellinthemiddleofthenight.com or tweet us at middlenighttale. We are originally releasing the episodes weekly over nine weeks from May 2018, but if you're listening from the future, hello. All nine sets of stories are available to download at iTunes Podcast or where you usually get your podcasts. They have been released in an order which references the next episode, but they don't have to be listened to in that order. They are made so that each set of stories stands on its own, although if you like them, I would listen to episode nine last. Its theme is hope as morning breaks, and that's a good thing to listen to last. We have also released a selection of BSL video interpretations of these podcasts. These can be found at storiestotellinthemiddleofthenight.com. Stories to Tell started as a theatre show, born from ideas of people, friends, awake and up in pain or anxiety and not being able to sleep. These stories are made to be listened to when you are awake, a light still on or not, although I have been told that I have a voice that sends dogs to sleep, in a good way, but I think. It is written and voiced by me, Francesca Millican Slater. Sound design is by Ian Armstrong with podcast support from Mark Steadman, produced by Pippa Frith, supported by Arts Council England. Copies of the original theatre text are published by Ink Concrete. You can buy or download at inkconcrete.com or on Amazon. Stories to Tell in the Middle of the Night, the theatre show, was originally commissioned by Birmingham Repertory Theatre and was supported by Arts Council England, China Plate and the Sir Barry Jackson Trust. It was produced by Pippa Frith. I'm Francesca Millican-Slater and you can find out more about what I do at francescamillicanslater.co.uk. Ian is Ian with two eyes at ianarmstrong.net Pippa is at pippafrith.co.uk and Mark Stedman is at stedman.io. Listen out for a bonus episode where myself, Ian and Pippa will be in conversation about sound, the show, how it became a podcast and if Ian has been recording cutting his toenails.